Hi, it's Brian Denton from Proact. Welcome back to a conversation on business resiliency that Proact hosted with industry leaders Greg Rowe, CEO of Hardy's Fresh Foods in Dallas, Joan DeLeo, president of Old Time Produce in St. Louis, and Jana Fielberth from Analytically in Indianapolis. Host Bob Riddell from Riddell Business Advisors continues the conversation with a question for Joan DeLeo. You started to talk about how you are thinking differently about my, in my words, how you go to market and where you go to market, maybe a little bit more um, on the process you went through uh, with your company to think about how to use the assets you have and what markets to pursue and how to, how, just how did that work within your company? Well, I mean, honestly, some of it uh, came to us and some of it was just people here. So um, everyone in the business, that was in a lane. Okay, so if you were in marketing and you were marketing. But what happened with COVID-19 is everybody became a business owner. That is that is a perfect description. And all of a sudden we had people in the building who had who had maybe had some flyer idea and we looked at it and we all came together. So we did what many many companies did um, a little bit differently, though, is that we we said, okay, we have this, you know, people aren't, uh, grocery stores are short of items. People don't want to go to the grocery store if people only get out of their house. You know, so we direct to consumer by order. So you literally, you know, could go on, pick out all the things just as though you were a restaurant that you wanted that we sold. And, of course, we made public size pack sizes and drive up and we set it in your car. Um, but that was really an idea of this group. I mean, they had a website up in like a day and a half. It was the 16th, and by the 19th, we had our first order. They did $1,000 on their very first day. Um, they've never let loose of that. They continue to build on that idea. They did a, a video, um, I think, yesterday. I mean, I'm really disengaged. But they did a video that takes people through the entire process of how we get, fill, and load your order in a car. Um, so that the public could kind of see the warehouse, so you could come into it. They have a concept of a uh, market idea um, where, you know, almost like you're picking out the stuff. Um, so very interesting ideas that came about. But I think that um, from a higher level, the, some of the team that, you know, are, are traditionally uh, looking at uh, what, how, where we're going to go with the business. I mean, that's our, you know, job is to envision where it's going, um, began to look at it differently, just began to say, okay, wait a minute. We had an idea when we built this state-of-the-art facility four years ago, what we were going to do with it. Well, since that may not be possible, what are all the other things you can do? So different, because we had this facility, because as Janet pointed out, um, if you'd already invested in tools, if you'd already invested in analytics, if you already invested in different things, well, we had a warehouse, and it allowed us to do things that we could not have done uh, prior to this. I mean, we just didn't have the facility to do it. I mean, for, for about uh, four or five weeks, we did a uh, transportation logistics deal that we could have never done. We just couldn't have moved that massive amount of product in and out without a state-of-the-art warehouse with, you know, uh, the you know all the elect electronics, all the all the things that we have invested in this building. So, I think you had to be kind of set up for it uh, in order to start to survive this sort of uh, situation, um, uh, this sort of uh, you know pandemic situation, which causes a massive disruption in your business. You had to have some things ahead of time 
um, but it wasn't going to be the only thing you needed. You had to re start looking and re-envisioning what, what could you do if these were your assets. And so we began to look at um, all kinds of things that we wouldn't have considered before. Wouldn't have, we didn't have to, in a way. I mean, I think I sort of necessity right. breeds invention, and it really does. I always say build a big enough fire in your office, and you will move as quickly as you can away from it. <laughs> yeah. So somebody else built the fire in this case, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. So I'm I'm curious. That's all great. I'm I'm curious. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I speak over somebody? No. No. Okay. Uh, I know you're you're still in the middle of making sure you know where the fire is and where to move. But get, and given that, do you see this some of the changed behaviors and the way people are thinking about the business? Do you have a view of how that is, uh, how you want that to, or how that's likely to change the way you operate the business going forward? Well, we always operated it in this incredibly democratic and egalitarian way, because that's just me. <laughs> okay, so when you have someone at the top that's like that, that's the organization is very much like that, and people come to work here because they're attracted to that. But I would say today, yep. there is much more consensus. There's much more concern. There's much more um, buy-in, lean-in, if you will, in the entire organization. People um, understand uh, now scarcity of resources like they've never understood it before. And um, there's, there's a huge um, oneness in a good way. So not in a, in a and we're all going to think the same way because we don't. Um, and we want that diversity continued to, in fact, we want to um, support and encourage that diversity of ideas. On the other hand, we want to all make sure that once we make a decision, we're all really leaned into that idea so that it can be successful, that we can, you know, encourage everyone. And, and I would say today, it's more like that than it's ever been. Yeah, and it sounds like that you're, you view that as a very healthy thing. Yeah, I do. I do because I think that a lot of times, I mean, I've always said this, business is fragile and um, it's just not recognized by and large um, because for the most part, most people in organizations don't really worry about, as, as someone spoke about, like the income statement. No, people don't really worry about that, particularly when you get into private companies where maybe all financial data is not shared or even or most financial data may not be shared. It depends on where you're at in your organization with that. But, um, but they are fragile um, in many ways, and it's only a, a, a series of bad events, bad decisions um, that can really, um, you know, disrupt something that, that appeared to be going along, you know, an enterprise appeared to be going along pretty well. And most, most employees don't really concern themselves with that. But when events like this happen, uh, and we were always pretty transparent about that, um, and so then you, you lay out what the what the impact is of taking an operating company to five or ten percent of its normal revenue sources. That's an incredible thing for people to absorb, and uh, yeah. some people you know can get off that boat really quick, but the people that stay tend to really lean in in ways they never did. And that's powerful. That's when you can really move an organization. 
Yeah, the, there's nothing quite as good at building a team than a, a, a shared crisis that you all have to react to, right? Yeah. Good. Um, Greg, let me get your thoughts, and let me let me take you back and remind you. The original uh, thrust of that question was around um, what you've done to identify and execute on new revenue uh, opportunities and new market channel opportunities and how that then has changed the way you think about the business. So I'd, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. Um, yeah, we, and we tend to, you know, really we have a, a regular innovation meetings and we're, we're always looking for new things, but and some things were on our drawing board that we just didn't have time to get to. And so when this happened, you know, we quickly uh, circled up the team and like, okay, we, we need to implement some of these ideas that we, uh, an example of that would be, uh, you know, we're executing on a home delivery business. Uh, we've built, uh, but pretty quickly, we've built some technology tools to help us uh, execute on the, on the deliveries as well as uh, packing custom order boxes in our, in our warehouse. Uh, but one of the first things we did was uh, we did pop-up trucks. That was our first thing. So we would post on social media, we're going to be at this location. We had several locations around each one of our cities. And uh, the grocery stores would deplete the product. So we, uh, we would have big crowds. They would clean us out on the truckload of stuff that we took out there in um, you know, an hour or two usually. And really great response to that. Uh, we also launched a pickup, you know, called the Hardy's Direct. So you can order, order today, come pick up at our warehouse tomorrow. Tremendous response for that. While the grocery stores were in, were in a state of uh, depletion, but once that started to correct itself, we expected to see, and, and we did see a drop off. Although we've still had, uh, uh, we still have a lot of people that come and and pick up at our warehouse, but it's not as great as it, it was. We had a, a situation on Austin facility. We literally, they were out of our parking lot and down the street for like a block waiting to turn in when we first launched this and just a, a huge amount of, of business. And so that was welcome. But we, we you know, basically in 48 hours, we, we launched the pop-up trucks and the home, home or the pickup business fairly quickly, uh, just pulling all the resources together, getting people, breaking the project down, getting people working on the, the different areas. Mm -hmm. Jenna, you, you're, you're the metrics expert here, not to suggest that the other folks don't, don't understand the metrics of their business. I'm, I'm curious about your view, particularly how, how metrics might be used to impact the, the kinds of changes that the that these companies and others are going through. Yeah, great, great point, Bob. Um, when we think about um, post-COVID or just reacting to to change, I kind of put companies in three different buckets. You know, those that have always been early adopters, have a good infrastructure, have made good investments in re resources and tools, um, those that are have started the journey, maybe made some early investments or who are really thinking about it, and those that frankly haven't or haven't needed to. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, businesses can be run on a margin of error that's acceptable and they haven't really needed to uh, focus on it yet. Uh, 
uh, I, I get less concerned about metrics and the impact of, of, of and the good use of metrics for the first category, those early adopters, those innovators. I get more concerned about the second two categories because I'm sure uh, Joan and Greg have plenty of, of, of stories about taking over you know, big digital transformation projects and how overwhelming they can be and where do you start. And I get concerned that, that some companies will try to boil the ocean as opposed to just really focusing on what matters. And um, that's kind of always been our brand promise. You know, analytics can feel like this big subject and, you know, where do you start? And um, for us, we break it down into very simple, pragmatic terms because I think that uh, business isn't difficult. It's just hard. And uh, so we focus on, um, like I keep saying, labor and demand, but breaking that down by, you know, how are your orders fluctuating throughout the day, throughout the week? How does your labor that you have planned align to those, those orders or changes in orders for customers? And that's really easy to say, but tough to do because the insights and changes and actions that need to happen uh, can't just exist in some computer system that no one looks at. It really needs to come to life in, uh, in, in an employee's day-to-day -day work. Um, so the way that we view it as, uh, you know, kind of real-time, near real-time insight and guidance around changes in labor and positive changes that you can make. You know, maybe you're really busy in one area of the company and not very busy that day in another and shifting people's roles and responsibilities for that day to align that labor to demand. But then also being ready for tomorrow. You know, I, I think the, the, the tough thing in a time like this is feeling prepared. And we used to do quarterly annual strategic plans. And now not only are we expecting every employee to be many business owners, we're also expecting them to be many strategists thinking about tomorrow every single day. And so when uh, a great easy, uh, easy place to start that doesn't overwhelm, I think is, is looking at how is, your, how is your demand changing over time? And over time could be over a shift, over a day, over a week, over a month. And then how are you balancing that with the labor necessary? But then also being conscious because every dollar of labor is, you know, is expensive these days. Thank you for that. Let me uh, let me take a, a slightly different cut at the the way you might think of resilience, and I'm gonna I'm gonna think in terms of the value chain. Um, we've all talked a little bit about how your, your the revenue side of your business and your relationship with your customers or or addition of new customer segments has changed, and a little bit about the operations. But if you think just broadly about the the value chain, you've got suppliers. You probably get some other third-party partners that aren't exactly suppliers. You've got your company operations and you've got your customers. I'm, I'm curious how your, your thinking about resilience and your adaptation to the change might have affected those, those segments, suppliers, third-party partners, uh, and to some extent, if you haven't already touched on it, company operations and customers. And Greg, let me ask you to take the first swat at that one. Sure. Um, yeah, during this... Uh, during this unprecedented time, I, I certainly have talked to uh, more suppliers than I had in years. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, because I, I kind of looked at it like this has happened to all of us, and 
you know, I, I, people get tired of me saying it, but, you know, the only way we make it through is together and just talking to suppliers, uh, you know, trying to understand their situation, where they are, what we need to do to work together. Uh, customers, I kind of, uh, you know, I have a regular thing on my calendar anyway where I, I talk to customers, certainly new customers and uh, everything around around the state. But uh, uh, we, we certainly have talked to a lot more customers trying to you know, understand their their situation. I mean, obviously, we have an accounts receivable with them, and you know, working with them, giving them the the grace they need in order to to survive this, but yet trying to collect our money. And so, it you know, I think again, all of us working together. Um, you know, any third party partners that we had, I think we've met with most of most of them. You know, and our our vendors, truck vendors things like that and just just all working together to try and and get through this i look at it like it's it's our community and uh of, of partners and so we all have to be on the same page and pull on the wagon the same direction and are you finding that the the suppliers and, and other third parties you do business with are they do they generally have the same attitude that you have with your company, which is, you know, collaborative and open and let's try things and kind of work together to figure it out. Has that been fairly positive? I would say uh, overwhelmingly, yes. Uh, there's a few that uh, I think didn't show good partnership through this and it was, it was all about them. And uh, so it'll, it'll be my mission in life that we uh, replace them and don't, and don't deal with them going forward because it, uh, you know, it, you know, you can't in this type of thing. You find out kind of who's uh, who's selfish and who's uh, who wants to to work together with people. And um, so there there were a few, but overwhelmingly, yes, everybody was in the same boat. They were. Uh, I've had more calls from people about their businesses, something totally different than mine. What do you think about this? And let's just bounce some ideas off of each other that would help them in their business. And um, so it it. Uh, I, I like working with people like that. So. Yeah, that's good to hear. Joan, what, what's what has your experience been along those lines? Well, when I think about resilience, I mean, I've always uh, considered uh, for some time. It, it's been a number of things, uh, both the fragmentation of the of our business, uh, of the whole supply chain business in terms of fresh. Um, in terms of our relative uh, low economic bargaining power as it relates to large clients. So one of the things that this has taught us is that fragility in the system. People now completely understand that. Margins have been um, really razor thin for many, many years. So to me, we have opened up the window now to really talk about that. And I think in the past, um, people didn't really have to partner with you. They could be a customer without really being a partner. They could uh, be a supplier without really being a partner. And I think that uh, these sorts of events, as Greg pointed out, they bring people together in a way that really demonstrates who understands that value chain, who understands um, the fragility of it, who understands um, the, the, the need to part of resilience is going to end up being um, having a, a competitive situation where 
uh, we can bring returns that will actually be able to absorb impacts like this in the future. Because while they weren't envisioned yesterday, they certainly are today. And we're not going to be able to rely in the future on PPPs, bailouts, extra 600 for employees, da da da, all those things. Um, while they, they helped in this one-time event, let's say we had this, this event isn't a one-time, or there is some additional event in the future, we now all know it's possible. So now that we know it's possible, part of resilience will be preparation for it. And as Greg pointed out, not in just like, hey, a tornado hit the building, but what if for a year or more, four to six quarters, your traditional uh, uh, base of customers are somehow inhibited from buying from you or can't buy or, or events are closed or whatever the situation is, we will now have to be prepared for that. So part of resilience will be the economics of actual the businesses. Um, so, you know, we've, we've done all those things that Greg pointed out. Everybody has. We've worked in, you know, concert with all vendors and up and down the supply chain. But, but um, we've opened up an area, I think, today that was going to prove um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to determine who's going to, I think, really be successful in the future and who won't be. And those are the ones who can really partner with businesses that where we allow enough uh, return that you can prepare economically for these kinds of events. Thanks for joining us. Come back tomorrow for the conclusion of this discussion. And be sure to subscribe to hear our roundtables on customer service, risk management, and navigating business with limited resources.